We live in a deeply polarized world, don't we? I, maybe more so than at any time in, in my lifetime. We're divided culturally and politically, it seems racially, uh, socially, we, vaxxers, anti-vaxxers. We've got conservatives versus liberals. We've got, I don't know, Fox News versus CNN and Black Lives Matter versus Blue Lives Matter and woke versus unwoke. Uh, God-fearing, Bible-carrying, King James-only complementarian reformers versus progressive, egalitarian, critical race theorists, soy milk-drinking Leafs fans versus everybody. So is there anything that can kind of bring us all together, anything we can kind of agree on? Interestingly, yes, uh, there's a single sentence that was uttered over 2,000 years ago that is almost universally adhered to, agreed upon, honored, acclaimed. It's so unifying, in fact, that back in 1993, 143 leaders representing all of the world's major religions, Buddhist, Muslim, Hindu, Baha'i, Jews, Sikhs, affirmed it as a universal truth and incorporated it into this statement called the Declaration Toward a Global Ethic. Its author was Jesus. And here's what he says, Matthew 7, verse 12. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. What is this verse commonly known as? The golden rule, thank you. It's because it is golden in its perfection, in its wisdom, in its value. It's, it's, it's the one idea that meets with almost universal affirmation. And we're on this home stretch of a series on the Sermon on the Mount. The most famous message that Jesus, really the most famous message that anyone ever gave. What if Jesus was serious? What if these were words to actually live by? Uh, what if this kind of Christian life is actually available to us? And it was in that message that Jesus gave this famous principle. And it's this one idea, this one verse that I, w- I want us to spend our time on today together exploring it, maybe more importantly, a- applying it. Because as much as we all affirm it, Uh, we don't all follow it. And there's these other rules that that we tend to follow. I don't know if you've heard of these other kind of colloquial rules, rules that are practically at odds with the golden rule. For example, have you heard of the the iron rule? This is the uh, uh, do to others before they do it to you rule. Uh, It's, you know, the might makes right, take no prisoners approach. To people, maybe some of you in the high stakes business world feel you need to live by that rule. Maybe, maybe you're the youngest of five brothers who feels you better strike first mentality. Uh, have you heard of the brass rule, which is sort of the get even mindset? It's this is the do to others exactly what they do to you. You hit me, I'll hit you. Uh, you cheat, I'll cheat. You lie, I'll lie. 
Of course, there's the Chicago rule. <laughs> he brings a knife, you bring a gun. He sends one of yours to the hospital. You send one of his to the morgue. That's the Chicago way. And that's how you get Capone. First one who names that movie in the comment section uh, or the chat gets a prize. And that prize is my undying pop culture respect. Uh, there's this silver rule, which sounds like the golden rule, but it's not. And it's found in almost every other religion, including Buddhism and Hinduism. You can find it in the code of Hammurabi, which date back nearly 2000 years before the time of Christ. The silver rule sounds close, but here's what it says. Don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. So it's the golden rule in negative terms. It's the do no harm, cause no injury rule. You know, it's like uh, Google's original code of contact. We, they were the don't be evil, which they've since dropped, by the way. The problem is that it doesn't have anything to do with doing or being good. It certainly doesn't capture the fullness of, of, of what Jesus is teaching. So I shouldn't murder my neighbor. Great, but I don't have to be kind to them or help them, right? You shouldn't do anything bad, but you don't have to do anything good. That's the difference between the golden rule and all the others. Uh, that's what made the golden rule golden. And what's so unique about Jesus' turn of phrase here, do to others what you would have them do to you, is that it covers everything. Not doing bad, but also doing good. Uh, Jesus was the first to introduce this, this simple but powerful idea to the world. And may I say, it isn't even the highest standard that Jesus would lay out on how to treat others. Uh, Sky Jatani, uh, in, in this book that we're basing our series on, uh, What If Jesus Was Serious? He does a little doodle for every, for every page. And uh, I think this doodle kind of shows the progression of difficulty, but also the, the stakes of love, you know, that um, the last instructions Jesus actually gave, one of the last instructions before he left this earth, as it, in terms of loving each other, he says, love one another as I have loved you. Now that, those are some high stakes. In fact, speaking of one another, that's really the application of this verse, isn't it? Some of you may remember we talked about this concept for months at NAC. We called it one anothering. Christine referred to it in her story, how she saw it lived out in her life. And, uh, and at a time, I think, when she probably needed it most. One anothering is sort of a made up word, but we call, called it that because in the New Testament alone, there are 59 times, as far as I can tell, that uh, there are verses that encourage us to serve one another, encourage one another, pray for one another, love one another, uh, verses that essentially lay out how we should apply the golden rule. So, Y'all remember this, I'll be your CRO today, your chief reminding officer. Live in harmony with one another, Romans says. Be patient, bearing with one another. In love, Ephesians says. Spur one another on towards 
love and good deeds, accept one another, be kind and compassionate to one another, strengthen one another, forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another, offer hospitality to one another. And then over and over again is, is this first uttered by Jesus himself, love one another. I mean, can you imagine a world like that? Uh, can you imagine everybody doing those things to each other, actually living out this golden rule, devoted, patient, bearing, accepting, kind, compassionate, forgiving, loving one another. So what if Jesus was serious and he wasn't just making a cute axiom, a little bumper sticker to be included on some, you know, global ethics statement, but actually wants us to live like this. Jesus sets uh, a pretty high bar. Dallas Willard uh, says in uh, The Divine Conspiracy, the golden rule is devoted to the good in the lives of those around us. And this reaches far beyond the mere absence of harm. It aspires towards a remarkable richness in their lives, not simply the alleviation of their suffering. I mean, uh, a lot of us have a kind of a live and let live philosophy. You don't bother me. I won't bother you. You know, I'll pull my garage or I'll pull my car into the garage at night. You do the same. Um, thank goodness we have these clear property lines You'll never be able to say that I'm a source of, of a harm in your life. Yeah, you're right. Uh, you wouldn't actually be able to say that I'm a source of anything in your life. Um, not hope or encouragement or goodness. According to Jesus, it's, it's just too low a bar to live with this do no harm mentality. We're actually supposed to seek for the flourishing of others. Um, it's a little more hands-on, isn't it? Goodness through commission, uh, not just omission. You know, in Sky's book, he talked about this Christian phenomenon that uh, some of you lived through in the 90s. I don't know, there's, there's a lot of young people in this room, so they may not even remember where it seems like 90% of Christians had this WWJD bracelet or bumper sticker or hat. And the question of what would Jesus do in any given situation is actually pretty hard to answer. I mean, um, how does one uh, uh, know the mind of a completely perfect, glorified, holy, timeless, supremely wise and benevolent God? Uh, how do we know how to interact in our various walks of life at work, at home, at school? You know, we have an idea through the gospels, through the, the spirit living in us, but Jesus actually makes it much simpler on us than having to know his perfect mind and will. We just have to know ourselves. In other words, how would we want to be treated? So, in determining how to respond to others, maybe rather than asking WWJD, what would Jesus do? Uh, the golden rule is more about asking WWIW, what would I want? Uh, that's a bar 
that's within reach, right? In any circumstance, we're, we're able to treat others the way that we want to be treated. It's brilliant because it's so universal. It can be followed by anyone, anytime, any culture. As long as we are honest enough, as long as we are self-aware enough to acknowledge what goodness looks like to us, how we'd want to be shown love. Maybe you, you'd um, even begin your prayer time this week by, by selecting a couple people in your life and, and asking God, if I were blank, what would I want today? Commit to treating people the way that you would want to be treated. The golden rule is kind of like the bottom line of, of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, would you just kind of bottom line it for us here? You know, all this stuff about judging and gossip and hypocrisy and mercy and forgiveness. That's a lot to remember. Could you kind of just give us the headline? Okay. Do unto others. This sums up the law and the prophets. It, this simple rule might, might be the best way not to grieve the spirit. It might be the best way to be spared relational grief. Uh, the best way to be loved and respected not to mention find healing in marriages and other relationships. You know, Michael Eaton said, it is a one sentence rule of thumb that will give us what to do in a thousand complicated situations. And yet I worry that some of us, particularly lifelong Christians, it's become almost cliched, right? Because we've heard this since childhood. So we're so familiar with it that it, it's, it stops having an impact. It stops, we stop living by it. It's a rule where you take the initiative, okay? You begin with yourself because you know what you would want. Um, it might mean becoming vulnerable if that's what the situation calls for. Uh, not being defensive, turning the other cheek maybe. There's so many characteristics of what it looks like to do unto others. And again, I'd refer you to our, our one another, one anothering teaching series. You can find that on our media page at the website, but let me just use five words as examples of what it means to live out the golden rule. I could have picked a hundred different words, but hopefully these five words might even spur on your own creativity, your own thinking. I've done something very annoying that pastors do. And uh, I've used like an alliterative device. Every word starts with G. I know I would, I would beat myself up if I could, but I, it's just what we do. So what does it look like to do unto others? I think it starts with G genuineness. We want people to be unhypocritical, don't we? We want we, we're hoping that they'll be true. We want to be able to trust them. Are they real? You know, often relationships sort of go in these, these phases. The first phase is the honeymoon. Um, we think we found the perfect friend. We like all the same things. Uh, the conversation just comes so easily. It's like we're, it's like we're brothers from different mothers. It's like we're sisters from different misters 
right? It's, it's easy and fun and thrilling. Inevitably, there's going to be some form of disillusionment phase two, right? Oh, they're not all, they're not all they're cracked up to be. They're a little more annoying, a little more needy, a little less fun than I thought they were. And at worst, we might even feel a bit deceived. Uh, unfortunately, that's where some relationships end when, when maybe they just need to get to phase three, which is the reality phase where we start to see things in balance. We appreciate all the good in them. We put up with some of their shortcomings. We trust that they'll do the same for us. It takes a little time to get to that spot to find out what a person is really like. You know, thankfully, most people do not end up on a pedestal that we initially put them on. In fact, I would have to say that every person I have admired a little too much um, sooner or later has disappointed me in one way or another, but that's not their fault. That's my fault, actually. We, we want to trust from others, whether we are buying a used car from them or learning from them or investing time, energy, money in them. We, we want them to be real, um, reliable, genuine. We want that in ourselves. Let's be that way ourselves, even if they are not. It's interesting. I did a little visioning exercise with our pastoral staff and I asked them to think about words that as a church, we would say are our, our values. What, what makes knack knack, you know, and it can't be every good Christian word. Otherwise it, it becomes a meaningless, like what are the five or six words that most encapsulate what knack is all about. And I did the exercise myself and I came back with my number one word, authenticity. It's just super important to me. I just see a lot of fakey fake Christians going to fakey fake churches where everyone is nice and put together and smiling. And there's just something off. It don't feel real y'all. And I thought, Jonathan, this is just your holy discontent thing. Surely there are 20 more important words than authenticity. Wouldn't you know it? Both Pastor Chris and Pastor Glenn came back with a word similar to that. Genuineness, authenticity. I'm so glad to be part of a church uh, that is trying to live like that. You know, we, that, we, don't, we don't get this 100% of the time for sure but we are definitely a no perfect people allowed zone, right? Uh, Come as you are, but just bring your true self uh, as vulnerable as that can be at times. I know that that's what you want from others. So be that to them as well. Second G, gentleness. We want others to be gentle with us, don't we? not severe or mean or legalistic. We want them to be approachable. Um, Man, we all fear rejection, don't we? More than anything else. We would never go somewhere where we were convinced we'd be rejected. It's an awful feeling to be rejected or to, to feel rejected. 
we'll avoid those situations like the plague. Or how about somebody that is like, takes themselves super seriously, is, is pretentious or smug. That, doesn't that kind of turn you off? Don't be that person. Jesus was the most unpretentious person that ever was. Philippians says that he made himself nothing. And, and Matthew says that he was meek and lowly of heart. Um, Jesus loved the underdog. Whereas the devil likes to hit people when they're down. Um, says about Jesus, a, a bruised reed, he will not break. I wasn't, sh- you know, for years, I, I, I didn't know what that meant. I think I finally get it now. Some of y'all are bruised reeds, right? You have been deeply wounded and hurt and you feel fragile. You feel at the end of yourself. Remember, God is always for the underdog. The underdog is the one in the inferior position. The underdog has been discriminated against, um, avoided by people, rejected by society. Do to them especially what you would want others to do to you. Jesus will be gentle with you. And he calls for you just as you are. After the Sermon on the Mount, at least according to Matthew chronologically, right after a a leper comes to see Jesus. And um, I mean, there's a guy who has been rejected by others, I would imagine. And I think he knew in his heart that he would not be rejected by Jesus. And sure enough, he was accepted. He was a bruised reed and Jesus was gentle with him. Jesus was popular with sinners. I love that. They knew they could trust him. Oh, that we would be like Jesus to everybody, gentle with them because they may in fact be a bruised reed. Ask yourself this question of, of you. Um, Is it easy to approach you? Uh, do you find, uh, do people find you approachable? Uh, do you wait for others to do all the initiating and approaching? There's not a lot of risk in waiting for others to approach you. There's a ton of risk in being the approacher, right? In being the initiator, the one to risk rejection. We can't all wait to be approached. Uh, And the golden rule is really about us taking initiative. Jesus is saying to all of us, be gentle. And and Paul affirms this later in Philippians. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Third G, gracious. We, We want people to be gracious. And the original word here in in. Hellenistic literature is epiakes. Epiakes meant that if you had the chance to throw the book at someone because you had the goods on them, you set them free instead. Okay? That's the meaning that informs this English word graciousness. The opposite of graciousness is making them pay, uh, rubbing their nose in it because you, f- you found something out on them, remembering every fault. Uh, making them feel guilty, 
making them suffer, keeping a record of wrongs. Why do we keep a record of wrongs? I, it's for the receipts, right? So, so when someone stumbles or is caught in a lie or makes an inappropriate comment, we can shove the receipts in their face. I remember when you, I, I see this on social media a lot. Have you seen this? People talking about coming with the receipts, you know, oh snap, so-and-so just took famous politician X to task and they came with the receipts, y'all, threw it in their face. Do you have the goods on somebody? Do you have the power to spill the beans on them? Do you have a record of wrongs that would hurt or embarrass somebody? Tear them up. Set them free. Set yourself free. I mean, that person is already keenly aware of the skeletons in their closet. And by the way, you have a few in yours too, don't you? So I add to their guilt. Jesus wouldn't. Fourth, G, we want goodness from people, right? Here, here's all I'm going to say about this. 99% of us believe that we are ultimately good people. You hear this all the time from people defending someone who is caught in bad behavior. I know he's going to jail, but he's actually a good person. Um, she shouldn't have said that racist thing, but she's actually a good person. And I'm not actually making fun of this. I I probably justify myself in this way. I hope some of y'all will defend me in that way when I mess up. But there was this documentary that stuck with me from about 10 years ago on Mike Tyson. Y'all remember Mike Tyson? Baddest man on the planet. Um, knocked out 44 of the 50, 50 men he, he faced. One of the most feared boxers of all time. And in this documentary, they talked real candidly about his personal life, about the rape charges that sent him to jail for three years, that talked about the abuse of, of women, including his own ex-wife, talked, of course, about that weird breakdown where he bit off the ear of Evander Holyfield during a fight. And it just struck me as interesting that both the director and Tyson made this comment that you know, Mike is a good person. He, he does bad things, but he is fundamentally a very, very good person. Now, it's not for me to say whether Mike Tyson is fundamentally a good person. You may remember we had a, a little sermon on that, judging the heart of people. What I am saying is, though, the golden rule doesn't actually care if you see yourself as a fundamentally good person person or not. It cares whether you are doing tangible good towards others, the kind of good you would hope people would do towards you. Okay, last one. Let's talk about G, gratitude. Uh, we want people to be grateful, don't we? We know God loves gratitude. God hates ingratitude. Gratitude has to be taught uh, but, you know, even those who have not been taught gratitude still like to be shown it themselves. Um, we all want to be appreciated. 
The truth is we love it when people are grateful and when they say, thank you. Uh, Let me lovingly ask you, how often do you say thank you and mean it? How often do you intentionally show genuine gratitude when people do things for you? Every so often, I'll start our staff meeting by asking, all right, who have you thanked this week? Uh, As people who work primarily with volunteers, I mean, we just need to be thanking machines. Be generous with your gratitude. Uh, Say thank you to your parents for what they've done for you. Show appreciation to your wife, your husband, your kids, your employer, your employees. You love it when people show gratitude towards you. Do the same towards them. And I'm not talking about some sort of feigned over the top, you know, bowing and scraping, but sincere, genuine, there's that word again, truthful words that let people know you're truly grateful for them. Maybe right now you're just compelled, convicted, encouraged, whatever, to just write a note to somebody, an email, thanking them for something. It would go a long way, especially in the middle of a pandemic where we're feeling increasingly alone. Look, in closing, we, we all fail at this, don't we? Um, we come up short all the time. I want you to know, though, the truth is that this is possible. It is, it is totally achievable to live like this. And we can do it by taking initiative. I suppose um, also passively through how we respond to others. I realize the temptation is to say, you know, let them take the initiative. But that, isn't that where the problem always emerges? You know, when the husband says, I'll love my wife when she shows me some respect. And the wife says, well, as soon as I feel love from him, I'll show him respect. The golden rule is about never waiting for the other person to do the right thing first. Okay? Why don't you beat them to the punch, so to speak? Uh, Go first. Be vulnerable. It's really, this is the bottom line of the Sermon on the Mount. All the law and the prophets is wrapped up in this. Do unto others. And you know, it's not even just a New Testament thing. Far from it. It it goes back at least as far as the Abrahamic covenant that he would be blessed and that we would be blessed through him, uh, the spiritual children of of Abraham, that, that we would be blessed so that we would, what? Be a blessing to others, even to the whole earth might be blessed through us. So that is the golden rule. Live it out this week. Blessing others as God has blessed you. Let me bless you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord turn his face towards you. For your children and their children for generations to come. Lord bless you.
you know, this is a great time to practice this. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about the 1918 influenza. Some people call the Spanish flu and, and the parallels between this 100 years later pandemic that we're in. And as I've read up on it, it was interesting that some of the people, many of the people who went through that 100 years ago, after it was all said and done, never wanted to speak about it again. And it turns out the reason for that was embarrassment. They were embarrassed about how they had behaved, how they had hoarded, how they had taken care of number one and left their neighbor to suffer. May that not be the case with us. May this actually be uh, the conditions or the environment in which we would practice what it means to do unto others. In my small group, uh, a wise lady said that she's hoping even that this season grows in her, grows in all of us, empathy, knowing that people are going through a great trauma. That's what it is. This is a trauma. And as tempting as it would be to be ministered to, to kind of wait and just be, let others serve and minister to you, you take the initiative, do unto others and serve and minister them. It's, it's so great to be a church member, to watch church, to engage in church. But more than that, the spirit of doing unto others is now to go and be the church. You sure are love people. Hope you know that. God bless you.